Hey there, it's Alyssa, and this is the Connect the Dots podcast. I often think of life as one big dot to dot. You know, those puzzles we all did as kids. I believe everything happens for a reason, and it is up to us to connect the dots from our past to our present, and that may just lead to our future. What if the things that you might consider to be a coincidence are all of those little miracle moments were actually divinely put there on purpose to create this really beautiful picture that we call life. My hope is that we are able to highlight some really inspiring stories and connect the dots in other people's lives. So let's get started. Today's podcast is sponsored by CME Films. If you are a content creator and looking to enhance the quality of your professional image, contact them today at cmefilms.net to make all your production dreams come true. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Connect the Dots, past, present, future. Today, I welcome an old friend from my past, Mr. Kevin Peterson. Kevin is a licensed marriage and family therapist. You also have your master's degree in the same subject. He is an author of two published books. In 2014, Kevin opened his own private practice. And in 2020, a great year, by the way, You established the Chronic Hope Institute with a mission to increase education on addiction and its impact on the family system. Wow. Everybody should check out Kevin's website. Kevin, I sincerely mean this when I say this, but you are a man on a meaningful mission to help families, people, and young adults piece back together their broken lives. And I want to congratulate you on all that you have accomplished and all that you still will do. You bring so much magic and so much happiness and hopefulness to so many people's lives. And I say that because that has been my experience with you as your friend. So yeah, my goal today is just to catch up with an old friend and to share his story. And my hope is that through our conversation, we are able to reach the heart of other people, even just one person that might hear a little of their own story in yours, that they might be empowered, inspired, and feel courageous enough to finally seek change to the current way they are living. It is no surprise to us that we are living in a broken world, unfortunately, and there's a lot of silent suffering happening, and it does not need to be this way. We absolutely can live these big and beautiful lives of progress and not perfection. So let's get started. So Kevin and I know each other from the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. As I talked about in episode one of my own story, I shared my own journey of recovery. I think I've known Kevin for about 15 years. I did not stay sober. However, I was sober for six years. And I need to tell you guys, I loved 
everything about Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, it absolutely does not get a good reputation. However, for me personally, it taught me how to believe in myself again. And after being a broken and shattered person at 19, I learned to love myself. You know, I personally cannot think of a more profound place that is so full of hopelessness and hopefulness, powerlessness and powerfulness, and brokenness of the newcomer to completely being built back up again. So that has been my journey of AA, and I'm so excited to hear Kevin's journey. For me, it was a journey of self-discovering, of growing, of healing, of forgiving, of learning, and as I already said, how to love myself. And also what I learned along the way, and I'm hoping that Kevin is able to also elaborate on this throughout today's episode, is the idea of accountability, you know? The program, or a 12-step program, is often referred to as a design for living, and that was absolutely my experience. So, Kevin, I know that your sobriety date is May 5th of 1991, which means this year you're about to have 32 years sober. I always like to ask people this question, but I don't want you to answer it just yet. But the question is... If the current version of yourself could go back in time to any period and offer a younger version of yourself some advice, what would that be? So think about it. But first, I want to talk to you about childhood. What was childhood like? So I grew up, uh, I was born in 1964 in Palo Alto, California. Um, and, you know, it was really interesting growing up in Palo Alto. Um, when I grew up there, it was a goofy, cute little college camp. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not the center of the known universe um, that they think it is today. <laughs> and uh, and uh, although they've certainly had a comeuppance recently, I don't know if you've watched the news in the last weekend, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the Silicon Valley Bank thing um, that went down. Um you know the irony of that. I have to. I have to throw this yeah. in there. When that bank was started, a friend of mine's father, girl I grew up with, father was the president Oof. when it started. Not, not anymore. I mean, that was that was a long time ago. And I told my dad, I was like, Dad, you need to invest in that bank. And <laughs> my dad was like, Oh yeah, what do you know? And then they skyrocketed. And I was like, I told you, I told you. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was forty years ago. <laughs> and uh, but. Uh, I was blessed and fortunate to have an amazing upbringing, you know, in an amazing place that was, you know, super, super bubble, super, you know, uh, amazing, incredible. Uh, At the time, you know, I did not know it, but I did not realize that I was being brought up in a super privileged environment. Mm -hmm. Um, I just didn't. I mean, I, 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 it was great. You know, I went to a public high school that really, looking back on it was pretty much operated like a private, you know, exclusive high school Mm -hmm. and in a very privileged neighborhood. Um, And, you know, but at the same time, so that was on the outside, right? I mean, there was the good parts and here's the other side of it is that my mom was a prescription drug addict, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so my dad was very successful in his business and, um, you know, we were not of the elite, but my dad was working wealthy. He was very successful and he did very, very well. And he worked hard for that. And, 
And so we did well, but we were not part of the generationally wealthy, you know, and um, but we came home to a house that was filled with chaos and drama and crisis. And, and, you know, as kids, we didn't understand, you know, we didn't know what was going on, but that was just our reality. Right. And, and, you know, and we made the best of it. We did what we could. We didn't, we didn't know where to go with that, you know, and, and I did sports and I was a good student. I wasn't a great student. One of the drawbacks of growing up in a super high-powered academic environment, you know, with with kids whose fathers were, and mothers were, you know, um, Nobel winners. I'm not kidding. Nobel Prize winners and, and you know, superstar academics and just like, you know, super geniuses and, and, you know, captains of industries and that sort of thing was that, you know, if you weren't someone who was a super achiever, you were dumb, mm-hmm. you know. And so I was an average student. And because of that, because I was average, I thought there was something wrong with me. Mm. And that was a really weird world to grow up in. And uh, internally, there was a lot of internal strife of like, you know, what's wrong with me? Right. And and so, um, you know, I, I discovered, for me, I discovered drugs and alcohol when I was about 13, 14 years old. And that really, uh, it turns out I like them a lot, you know. <laughs> You know, a lot of people will talk about, oh, I used it to self-medicate my anxiety or my fears or my depression. I just liked it. Mm-hmm. You know, it just made me feel better. That's what I, that's and, funny. That's what I said in my, in episode one, I said, you know, I mean, I failed out of college, but I had fun. I was just having fun. You know, me too. Mm-hmm. I was having a ball, you know, and I mean, it was a disaster. Right, right. You know, but I was having a ball, Yeah. you know, and I failed out of college too, but so, you know, to answer your first question, if I could go back to my younger self, um, if I had a magic ball, if I had a crystal ball and I could go back to my younger self, people would be like, don't take that first drink. That's impossible. Mm-hmm. I'm an alcoholic because of my chemical biological makeup. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no changing that. Okay. What I would say is I would have asked for help earlier. Oof. You know, Asking for help. You know, that would have been something I would have I would have raised my hand a lot earlier and said something's wrong. You know, I don't understand what it is, but something's wrong because I'm really bright and capable, yet I'm flunking out of college, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I don't get it. And I'm lying about everything. I mean, my whole I don't know about you, but my whole life was one big charade, you know. At, at towards the end, right at, we call what our bottom was hot, yeah. hot mess.com. <laughs> Ke- Ke- seriously. Kev, yeah. share, share with us, because it's one of my favorite stories, how you f- like faked your college graduation. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, uh, I started at USC university of Southern California in 1982, the fall of 1982. And, um, I, you know, I, and I, you know, I was so excited. I was so like, here I go, man, I'm going to launch it into the world, you know? And, um, I did, I, I, I was there, for, I was there about six years. Yeah. I, and after about six years, my dad, my mom and dad were like, so when are you going to graduate? <laughs> and I was like, that's a good question. <laughs> and I, uh, I turned in the paperwork to the university because back then it was paperwork. And uh, I said, when, you know, when am I going to graduate? And normally you get one of three responses or two responses. Congratulations. You're graduating in May or 
hey, you got here's the classes you need to fulfill, you know, and I got back a handwritten letter saying, you've got to be kidding. (laughs) You're not even enrolled at this university (laughs) and you're on academic probation. Um, You owe the school $10,000 and the dean of student life, who's like, you know, the head cop is, you know, he's got his, you know, they have a, they have a poster of you in their office looking for you. I was like, oh, I'm graduating in May. (laughs) uh, I sent out the, uh, I went and got the announcements. You know, I only got the, you know, sent out the announcements, the official announcements. And I went and rented a cap and gown. And I called my parents and I said, I am graduating in May, May 9th. Set your dates. And my parents flew down from San Francisco and uh, my sister drove up from San Diego and all my friends showed up and I got presents and money and all sorts of stuff showered upon me because there I was graduating from the University of Southern California on Thursday (laughs) at 8 a.m. And I was drunk as a skunk the entire week. And um, you know, the, the big, the big, you know, there's like, uh, there's like 30,000 people there. And, yeah. at the, and so there were like 4,000 of us graduating at the big ceremony and, you know, you just show up and it's like, you know, and, and I was drinking, you know, and the whole time then, and, and then we went to the little ceremony for my degree, which was, uh, economics and you just fill out the paper and the guy, you hand it to the guy, yeah. and he announces you, and they give you an empty diploma holder because they don't really give you your diploma. Right. You, you know? get that in the and, mail later. <laughs> yeah. Well, some people do. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, and uh, they, uh, so I filled out the paperwork. I've been handed it to the guy and put Kevin Peterson, economics, dean's list. Why not? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was on a dean's list, just not that one. <laughs> right, right. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, my dad said that's what tipped him off. And, uh, you know, we always got to go one step too far. <laughs> that, yes. Talk to me, so, Kev. What would you consider to be your bottom or what did that look like towards the end? You know, um, I'll tell you that I would tell you that my bottom, uh, well, there was like a series. Okay. Um, I would tell you that kind of probably kicked it off, you know, is that because it was a series of behaviors and actions where that was, that was in May of 1988. Um, Mm -hmm. and then in August of 1990, I went to a family reunion, um, in San Luis Obispo, and it was a four-day event. There was like 150 people in my family there from all over the country. And I was drunk the entire time. I mean, I was just plowed the entire time. And I mean, just horrible, horrible behavior. And I mean, just embarrassing myself in front of the entire family. And my dad said, uh, you know, let's drive home together. And and I was like, okay. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, I look back now and I'm like, how could I be so stupid? You know? <laughs> and and he threw me the keys to his new car and he's like, drive. I'm like, okay. And it's like a four hour drive, right? And then the first five minutes went like this. You know, Kevin, you're my only son and I love you. Oof. And I don't believe a word out of your mouth. Yeah. You're a liar, a cheat, and a thief, and a drunk and a drug addict. And um, your sister, your mother, and I have gotten together and we have decided that until this changes you're out. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, ah, you know, I was like, you know, this again, because, you know, if you're like me, you'd heard this before. Right. You know, and, but they stuck to their guns. And here's why that was my bottom. Honestly, 
waking up hungover, waking up beaten, Mm -hmm. waking up with strange people in strange places, that didn't bother me. Being kicked out of my family and them holding their boundary and saying, yeah, no, don't call. Don't don't come over. If you come over, we'll call the police. Locking the doors and completely act, just saying out. Yes. That was the bottom. Yes. Because that I'd always held on to the fact that I was part of this family. Mm-hmm. And then, but the one thing they did say is, you know, if you want help, we'll help you. Mm-hmm. But if you're not going to get help, if you're not going to deal with this, we don't want to see you. And so six weeks later, they held their ground. They, they lit, I tried and they were like, nope. And so uh, six weeks later, I picked up the phone, like all tough guy alcoholics. I called my mom and started crying. <gasps> and, and I was like, mom, dad's being to my mom. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Dad was being mean. And why, why are you guys doing this to me? And you don't love me. This is so unfair. You know, and she's like, and they were waiting for that. Right. You know? And it was all part of the plan. Because yeah. they were being coached by a therapist. And and she said, uh, well, honey, if you'd start seeing a therapist with your father, I think we could bring you back. Mm-hmm. All part of the plan. And the therapist, I started seeing a therapist with my dad in January of two, 1991. Mm-hmm. And um, that was all part of the deal. And the therapist, you know, brought me in and we start. I just started confessing my sins. <laughs> Yeah. And the funny thing is my dad started telling me his stuff, you know? <gasps> wow. So you guys walked through this together in a way. We did. That's really cool. And then in May, late April, May of 1991, my parents went out of town and the therapist was like, you're an alcoholic mm. and you need help. And I want to help you. And I was like, I'm in. Yeah. And so that was, that's the story. And Kev, how, how was that for yourself to admit at what, 26? How old were you? Um, I had just, I turned 27 in February of 1991. So 26, 27. Yeah. Do you remember that feeling of being like, I feel defeated and hopeless? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do I ever? (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, I remember it because it was like, you know, I was not on a winning streak. You know, the world was coming to an end, you know, I mean, it was, I, everything I was exposed, right? You know, um, the drugs and the alcohol were being exposed. The fact that I had flunked out of college and and was a failure was being exposed. Um, you know, I mean, everything was just coming forward. You know, and and I was just the fact that I had you know lied about everything and cheated about everything and hustled about everything. It was all coming to the to the table, and I just felt just horrible. Like I had just just horrible. I mean, just yeah. everything. It's like, Bleh. yes. And, and, um, and I was fortunate to have somebody, and this is the important thing. This is the really important thing mm-hmm. is that I had somebody that was throwing me a lifeline yeah, and saying, look, I'm going to help you mm-hmm. and I'm going to show you the way out. And, and, and that's really critical because that's a big piece of what I counsel people to do today is you can't slam the door on people. Yeah. You, you can hold them accountable and say, this has to end. Right. And here's the way out. Yep. I love you that you're saying that. I love that you're okay. saying that, that you're talking about, you know, the way that you got help was through professional help first. And the professional help led you to a 12-step program. Yep. That's great. Kev, question for you. 
Do you ever feel this overwhelming sense of deep gratitude for the alcoholism, for the pain, for your struggle, for your suffering? Because in the end, it has led you to this deep purpose and discovering your sincere passion of helping others. Yeah. I don't believe any of it would have happened without the struggle. Yeah. You know, um, you know, like we, like what you and I know, the conversation or the ta- the ta- the thing we talk about is the gift of desperation. You yeah. know, I, I do not believe mm-hmm. it would have happened if I had not had the the struggle or the fight. Um, and the uh, I just don't believe it would have happened. Um, and and I'm not saying that I wish people to 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 face the demoralization or the the struggle, but I just think that from that comes this you know and and i just you know whenever i whenever i see people that are um having these rebirths or these amazing successes or these situations when you start to really get into their story and start to understand who they are and what they are there's almost always a story like this yes yes you know yes i want to talk about that actually i wanted to talk about the idea of you know in, in the 12 steps, on step four, for those that know nothing about the 12 steps, you know, it, we talk about taking a personal inventory. Sure. And, and right. even in the big book of AA, the, the literature text, it talks about how our liquor was but a symptom, right? Like, in, in, in reality, and, and I want to talk about this on a general basis, not even just AA, like you said, right? We are not speaking on behalf of them. But if you start doing the work and diving into this spiritual journey, whatever that may be, we, 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 we are, we are suffering from, you know, this, it, it, it's a spiritual thing. It's not necessarily, you know, you just take the drink away or take the crutch, the drugs, the alcohol, the drinking, the, whatever the addiction part is, because we're, we're seeking to not feel right. Like who wants to feel pain, suffering, fear, loneliness, depression, anxiety, like not me. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I love this because I love the idea of like, it's the alcohol or whatever it is, is but a symptom to a deeper problem. Talk to me about this, Kev. This, and, and a lot of this is going to be your professional experience as well. How sure. do you help families? What does this mean to you? You know, this addressing the spiritual brokenness. Oh, absolutely. You know, we, uh, you know, we break it down that sort of the addiction side of things into three parts, physical, mental, and spiritual, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the addiction piece is there is a physical component there. There's a, there's a, there's a physical side where once, um, once you start, you can't stop or control, mm-hmm. you know, and that does separate the addict and the alcoholic from the rest of the population. You know, there is a, there is a significant difference, right? And and then, but then there's also the mental side, right? And the mental side is that this time it's going to be different. This this is what keeps me going back and trying again and trying again and trying again because I truly believe I can fix this by myself, you know. And then there's the spiritual side, which is I don't need help. It's the ego that says I can fix this on my own. I can solve my own problems. I have this. I have this innate sense of the ability that I think I am the I am God. I can solve it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, and then, and then the, then, then the, the, the question you're, I love the question you're asking, cause I actually just did a reel on my Instagram about it is, you know, is it, is it mental health or is it addiction or is it both, mm-hmm. you know? And, and the question I always, or the answer I always say is, well, 
why can't it be both? Mm -hmm. You know, and because a lot of times people come to me and they say, well, you know, our loved one, we don't think it's really addiction. We think it's a mental health issue. And we think they're just self-medicating themselves Mm. to deal with their mental health issue. I'm like, okay. And I totally get that. But let's understand that there's a percentage of the population that once they start self-medicating, they can't control it or regulate it. Mm -hmm. We call those people addicts. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's okay. That's just information. We need to know what the situation is in order to treat it. Okay. It's not a bad thing. It's not a stigma thing. It's not a shame thing. By the way, the I, there's this whole thing going on where people are like, oh, I don't like the word addict. It shames people. Let me tell you something. It doesn't shame me at all. Mm-hmm. It helps me understand who I am and what I am. I'm like, oh, now I get it. Oh, okay. And once I understand what it is, now I know how to address it. So if I understand that I I am one of those people, I'm a part of the population that cannot safely use drugs or alcohol recreationally or on any level whatsoever, okay, I have to eliminate that from my life. Mm -hmm. Got it. Fantastic. Then I have a baseline of my behavior. Oh, gosh, look, it turns out that I'm prone to depression. I'm prone to anxiety. I'm prone to this, 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 and this. Now I know with, now that I've removed the drugs and the alcohol, which, you know, bury my emotions and my feelings. Now my emotions and my feelings are coming forward. Mm -hmm. Now I know with the help of a mental health professional, how to address those things. Yes. And now I know how to go after those things and address those things and deal with those things and all the different, and there's so many options of how to go after that stuff rather than just take a pill. You know, no, we can do some therapy, we can do some spirituality, we can do some meditation, there's exercise, there's nutrition, there's meditation, there's all sorts of stuff we can do to address all the different options. Yes, yes. Long answer. (laughs) No, no, that's good. We're getting deep over here. You know, there's a there's a, a saying, you know, there's a lot of silent suffering happening right now. And and like and I'm praying for these people because you know, back in 2021, as I, as I shared in episode one, things could just got deep and heavy and a lot of like childhood stuff, you know, dealing with anxiety that I hadn't dealt with since I was a teenager mm-hmm. was like, whoosh. And so I would like post stuff on my Instagram, like quotes, right? Because that's how I was healing. And I had countless people be like, thank you so much. You don't know what I'm going through. You know, multiple friends going through messy divorces, separations, one friend who was like, I'm thinking about just giving up and, and what you posted today gave me a little bit of hope. And, um, you know, people often ask me like, Alyssa, I don't know how you do it. And I just tell them, listen, guys, like all I know is that there's purpose in the pain and that I'm just willing enough to get a little bit deeper because of my foundation of AA and taking personal inventory and understanding that at the rea- at the end of the day, majority of the time, it is my fears that I am allowing to take over and run my mind. Real or make believe. Will you speak yep. into this, Kev? Talk about our fears, how our fears, you know, run our lives. But at the end of the day, our fears are directly linked to our deep beliefs about ourselves. So talk to me about how, how this goes together, because I think if we're a little bit willing to, to, to dive into some of this healing and, and like this work, right? Taking personal inventory, 
I think there's so much healing to be done. Well, wow. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome to Connect the Dots, Kev. (laughs) All right. Okay. Here we go. So here's the thing I'm going to tell you. And this is this is the critical thing. Uh, I think this is this is just the most important thing. Because you, you, I love the way you you keep referencing the inventory, the the fourth step. Because at the end of the fourth step, and because there's four columns to the fourth step, and at the end of the fourth column of the fourth step, the 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 fourth the last line says, "I'm going to make sure I get this right." Is that um, I I. Uh, but now I got to remember. Now that you got me all jacked up, <laughs> it says, um, "I don't trust and rely upon God mm-hmm. to care for me and protect me." Right. That is the essence of where my fears come from. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to be clear when I say that. I want everyone to hear me clearly. Your version of higher power, mm-hmm. spirit of the universe. Doesn't it, a friend of mine yesterday in a meeting said, I use the word God because it's convenient. It doesn't mean God of one specific place, kind, church, etc. Mm-hmm. So whatever your version is, whatever your use, insert, insert your version here. Okay. I don't want anyone to think there's an exclusiveness to this because there isn't. Okay. But when I, when I realize that I'm deep into my fears and when I start to spin, mm-hmm. Which, by the way, still happens. Yes. Let's just be super clear. Um, what I'm realizing is that's when I, that's when I'm not in my space where I'm, you know, in my, in my reliance upon my higher power or reliance upon my trust or faith, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 it's valid. Let's be clear. That's a valid place to be. We all get there. That's just part of the reality of the human existence. Exactly. You know? And. But that's what's going on is that I'm 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 not. And, and I love the fact that when families come to me and my clients come to me and they tell me about how deep their faith is in their reality and their and whatever it's their church, their religion, their practice, it doesn't matter what it is. And then they start talking about, you know, how they need to control their family members. I'm like, time out. Hold on. You just told me about how devout you are. And the next thing out of your mouth is how it's up to you to control everything around you. Mm-hmm. I want you to understand that that control is a fear-based reaction. And you and you can't you can't tell me how devout you are and then tell me in the next breath how you have to control everything. Yes. The two don't go together. Yep. And so let's talk about your personal faith and let's talk about how you practice that connection because the fear that you're feeling and the anxiety that you're feeling, and, and that's valid. It's okay to have those feelings. You're acting on those. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about those and let's explore those and about how those are running your life and, and how the outward expression of those feelings of you trying to grab control of everyone and everything around you and make, make everyone around you behave, you know, is, is what's going on, you yes. know? And, and let's talk about that because it's always so much easier for someone to come to me and talk about, well, we need to talk about that guy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, no, we don't actually. Yeah. You know, 
what we need to do is talk about you. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, 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 I'm not the problem. They are. I'm like, well, sure, I understand they're struggling, but let's talk about how you're reacting to that struggle. Yes, and you bring up a good point in on your website, which is awesome, by the way, you talk about how you try to use a holistic approach. Holistic means whole, right? Involving the whole, looking at the whole, the environment, the house, the family. And so, and that's basically what you're talking about here, right? Addressing not just the person who we're saying they have the problem, the whole. (laughs) Well, you know, when we point the finger, there's four fingers pointing back. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) One of those little things you learn in AA. (laughs) Uh in, In AA or in the rooms, you hear often the, the idea, one day at a time. Almost 32 years sober, what does that basic, simple phrase still mean to you? Oh, gosh. You know, it just it just means that, um, you know, <laughs> it means that we're going to talk about Monday. We're going to talk about Monday, March 13th. That's all we're going to talk about. That's all we're going to talk about. We're not going to talk about anything else. We're going to worry. We're going to focus our energy on Monday, March 13th. That's all we're going to talk about. You know, I can't worry about anything else. I can't worry about what happened yesterday. I can't focus my energy on tomorrow. I mean, I can create a calendar and I can put things on my schedule because quite frankly, at 59 years old, if I don't, I'll forget it. (laughs) That's just a, that's a me thing, you know, but but today, you know, I'll look at my schedule and go, oh, okay, today I have an interview with Alyssa, and then I have another one at 11, and then I have this, and then I have this, and then I have the honor of speaking to a class at Metro State tonight, you know, and da 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 and, and I just walk through the day. I love it. And Living in the moment, right? Just being present. That's all I can do. Yeah. That's all I can do, you know, and... And that's really, that's that, that's the one day at a time, you know, as I just show up and do what's in front of me one day at a time. And, and sometimes things change and sometimes things get added and sometimes things get subtracted. True. Exactly. And I think that's just kind of a normal part of life change yeah. and adapting to change. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't, yeah. I was going <laughs> to yeah. say that can be, it, change can be triggering for me. I don't know. I don't, uh, I, don't, I don't like the fact that my friend Alyssa fell in love with some guy that lives in Mexico and I don't get to see her anymore, but I'm okay with it. I you know. know. <laughs> right. Hey, thank God there's social, thank God there's social media. Ah. <laughs> All right, Kev, this is, this is kind of a deep question. What would you uh, say to the people that think addiction is a weakness? Oh gosh. You know, I understand where they're coming from. I understand that 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 that, but they don't. Here's the funny thing, is that um, what I would say is I would love to spend some time explaining to them what addiction is and what addiction isn't, because um, they don't understand addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the folks that think it's a lack of willpower, and what they don't understand is that addicts have more willpower than anyone else I know because they keep trying over and over and over, even when it's killing them. It literally takes them to death and they die. Mm -hmm. You know, here's a story. I, uh, my, my friends, my therapist friends kind of put me sort of on a informal ban on commenting on, on Facebook therapy programs because they're like, Kevin, no, (laughs) Kevin stayed, Kevin is banned from commenting on Facebook posts on therapy pages. Um, cause a guy one time put what's worse addiction or depression. And, you know, 
the majority of people were like, oh, depression. And I'm like, no, it's addiction, of course. And they were, and this guy was like, why do you say that? I'm like, because all addicts will die mm-hmm. if they're not treated. Yeah. That's the nature of addiction. Addiction will not stop until the person is dead, you right. know? And he's like, well, haven't you heard of suicide? I said, not all depressed people kill themselves. True. All addicts will die. Mm-hmm. That, that's the nature of addiction. And I said, and then I was like, and the fact that you don't know this tells me that you don't know anything. And that's <sighs> that's where Kevin has to be taken away from the computer. <laughs> oh, gosh. But that's the thing, you know, is that, you know, the people don't understand addiction because all they, you know, what happens is if somebody has an addict in the family and what they see is the ruin that mm-hmm. it creates in the family system and they're like that guy is a jerk and he's selfish and he's mean and he's awful and he destroyed and they're right all those things are true that's true i was a terrible person yeah or what they see is well he quit drinking but he's still mean right Right, because he hasn't adopted a new way of life yeah right um and i want to be i'll go on record that the 12-step methodology is not the only solution exactly yes you know I tell my clients, you have, I only have two requirements that you're totally absent, abstinent from what it is you're struggling with and that you change the way you live. Yep. I don't care how you do it. You can go to church, mm-hmm. you can go to yoga, you can go to CrossFit, you can go to therapy. I don't care. Whatever works for you. But those two things have to happen, you know? So people, people, it's funny. It's the people that have experienced someone that has created that change understand addiction. Yes. Actually, this is interesting, Kev. Yeah. Uh, one of my questions here, I've got just a few more left and we'll call it a day and have you back okay. another time. But actually, how important would you say developing good habits are to sobriety or creating an overall healthy lifestyle? Habits. Oh, it is. It is the it is the uh, it is the. It is the key that unlocks the door. Mm, Um, And here's what I tell people. Nutrition, exercise, meditation, community, therapy. Amen. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that, those are the habits um, that I think everyone needs to form, whether you're an addiction or non-addiction, doesn't matter. But those are the things that, that I think create a healthy lifestyle. Yes, yes. And and, and I'm not saying you got to be the healthiest guy. You don't got to be a fitness model. You don't got to be a yoga guru. I'm not saying any of those things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, food is the fuel we put into our body. Mm-hmm. You know, um, exercise is taking care of our body. Yep. You know, and again, I, I'm, look, I'm no, I'm no fitness model. I'm, I'm no, you know. I'm, I'm no food person. You know, I'm not the healthiest guy on the planet, but these are the things that we have to do to take care of ourselves. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and, and community, you got to surround yourself with the people that love you and you love and that take care of you and that you take care of, you hey, know, yeah. and, you exactly. know, you got, and what I say is you've got to find your tribe. Yes. Yes. You've got to find your people, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and then meditation, I got to tell you something as I've gotten older and become deeper involved in my world, meditation is the secret sauce. Yes. Prayer and meditation. As a mom, I, I'm so busy these days in my mind. I just feel like it's constantly. 
And I've yeah. been telling multiple people, I'm like, I got to get back into meditation because it was a practice I used to practice a long time ago of just like sitting in silence. I, I forget. I forget how to sit in silence as a, as a mom and yeah. as just a busy person, you know, and I'm like, that, that's on my to-do list, you know, after, you know, getting to a place of brokenness in 2021. Last year, 2022 was the year of kind of like rebuild. And I said, you know what? It's mind, body, and soul. And here we go, right? Taking care of our body physically with exercise and nutrition, like you talked about. The mind part, obviously, and spiritual, the, the soul, mind, body, soul. So I loved, I loved your points. And yeah. all right, Kev, what advice? would you give to a person who is currently struggling with addiction or maybe mental health related issues, be it depression, anxiety, and they're just feeling maybe at their bottom, maybe at the point of like, I want help, but I don't know what to do, where to go, how to start. What would you recommend as, you know, one or two things for, for somebody who's ready to maybe seek a different way of life? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. So let's talk about the two. Let's talk about mental health and let's talk about addiction. Perfect. Okay. So for mental health, um, you know, I would say that, well, here in the States, um, I am a firm believer and I don't get anything from this, but I'm a firm believer in going up on psychology today Mm -hmm. and punching in the zip code. And if you have insurance, punching in your insurance information and um, you're going to get kicked back a list of therapists mm. in your zip code that take your insurance. And and you can also punch in like what your issues are. Yes. And you can just choose from them, you know. Um, the other thing, too, is go to my website and send me an email. And I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I don't care where you live. I'll help you find somebody, mm-hmm. you know. What's your to website? Me, real, tell us your website real quick. Well, we're going to include uh, it in the show notes. Sure, but. sure chronichope.us perfect you know that's and 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 by the way so that's that's for someone that's struggling with mental health and addiction by the way you can do the same thing mm-hmm. um and and the same offer goes for someone who's struggling with addiction if you just want someone to say if you just want to be pointed in the right direction like help me um, you know, I would say the same thing, go to my website and just, and again, this is not, there's no money involved. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is just a straight up, I'll help you, you know, send me an email, you know, and just say, Hey, I live in Buffalo, New York, and I'm trying to get sober. What do I do? And I will point you in the right direction. I can't magically fix you. I don't have magic beans. I don't have magic pills, but I will point you in the right direction. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to do the work. Yeah. Um, and I'm happy to point you in the right direction. And that, but then you have to be willing to do the footwork. Yes. And, yes. And that's what I'm saying is that, you know, you have to be willing to get up and go. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm, but I'm happy to point you in the right direction. That's, that's what we call the gift, the gift of desperation. When, when this guy told me, Hey, you got to go. I was like, I'll go. And I went. Yeah. yeah. The, the gift I'm, of desperation and, yeah. and yeah, admitting you were powerless, I suppose. Yeah. Excellent. Well, yeah. Perfect. Kev, for maybe a, a son or a daughter, the adolescent, a teenager who is currently maybe living in a home with either one or both parents that are actively using or, or that are just not present for whatever reason it might be. And these kids are feeling hopeless and these kids are feeling like, is this going to be my story too? 
Can you speak into this a little bit about breaking the generational cycles? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I would say for them is that there are definitely there's help for you as well. And, and I know it's a challenge because, you know, it's it's hard when it's your parents. Right. Because you don't know any different. I didn't know any different. I thought this was normal, you know. Um, and it's, I just want to let you know, it's not, and it's not your fault and it's not your responsibility and you can get help. And there's definitely places that will help you and they'll help you for free. Um, and, and again, you're welcome to send me an email and I'm happy to point you in the right direction. There's a, there's a great program. Hazelton Betty Ford has a great children's program that's online. It's free. Um, there's a lot of different places around the country that'll help you. Um, there's Alateen, um, Al-Anon. There's a whole bunch of programs that are uh, readily available online and in person mm -hmm. that will help um, teenagers, young adults, preteens, adolescents. Um, happy to help. Happy to point you in the right direction. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, Kev, let's see. Let's do one more question. And that is good. That is good to go. This is a marriage question. Uh-oh. I know. I know. <laughs> you know... You often hear about, oh, we're just going to stay together for the kids, right? These, there's very unhappy marriages out there, and it's very sad. Um, I, my, I am a child of divorce. My parents got divorced at a young age. My dad was very deep in addiction, both drug and alcohol. Praise Jesus, he is sober, almost 28 years. Not everybody's stories look like that. However, what would you say to the parents, to the adults, saying to themselves, oh, we're going to just stay in together for the kids? Don't do it. <laughs> well, I, I, I hear that all the time. And I'm yeah. like, I want to be I want to be totally clear with you. I don't care how young the kids are. They know Yeah. they're not stupid. They know they can sense it. They can feel it. They know exactly what's going on. And and every parent's like, oh, I'm like, don't, just stop. Mm -hmm. Just stop. They know exactly what's going on. They can sense what's going on. It's better that the kids see you happy whether that's single or with somebody else, mm -hmm. then that see you miserable because what you're showing them is, oh, this is marriage. It's phony and it's miserable. And so you know what they're going to grow up and do? Repeat. The same thing. Yeah. Yep. Better that they grow up and they've, they, you know, the better that they, that they understand that, you know, dad is unhappy, mom is unhappy, and they made a choice to get happy and take care of themselves. And uh, I, I, let me tell you something. I, <laughs> I hear that so often as a marriage and family therapist. And I'm like, look, I totally understand what you're saying, but I want to be tell you that I totally disagree. Yeah. And, and here's why. And, and, and I totally get where you're coming from, but I just, I need you to understand that, that, that you're nuts. If you think, oh, but there's, look, they're three years old. I'm like, they know. Yeah. 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 In, yeah. in 2021, like I was mentioning when it just got dark and deep and I just thought I got to get out of here. Um, it was not like I want a divorce, but I just wanted out of my current situation. Right. I just wanted to stop feeling how I was feeling. So I called my stepmom and she asked me, well, Alyssa, you have two options. Yes, you can leave. But ask yourself these two questions. Is there love, meaning for your husband and you, you know? Do you have love? And do you have a common goal? And both of those were yes and yes. And, um, and so, yeah, I think, yeah, for the people that are suffering and we're, we're, when there's no love, 
Your yep. children see it. They see it all. And what are you teaching them? So yeah, I thought I'd ask you that. Kev, we are done for the day. I'm so grateful to you. Where can people find you? Where can people follow you? Facebook, Insta, your website? Tell me. So the number one thing right now that I want people to do is go to my Insta at at Kevin W. Peterson, and it's S-E-N. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my Insta, that's, I'm, I'm posting all sorts of fun stuff where we actually post things where we're giving away um, PDF copies of my books. And, and so I would love it if people would go there. That's my number one thing. Um, we're on TikTok. Uh, I don't know the address, but it's go to the Insta. Well, we okay. do real, go to the Insta. And then we're also at, uh, we're on Facebook. Um, we're also on uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Twit, Twitter, whatever. Um, but go to the Instagram. That's kind of the number one thing right now. And we're also, the website is chronichope.us. Um, and you can send us an email. I, By the way, I do a weekly Monday night um, Facebook Live with a friend of mine out of Texas named Jay Staples. He's the he's um, the sober caddy. And we do it at um, 7 o'clock Eastern where people can email us questions and we answer the questions for half an hour. Any question about anything, happy to answer them and point people. It's all you know free, et cetera, et cetera. Perfect. So, yeah. Awesome. Kev, thank you so much for your time. And Oh, it's so good to see you. Yeah. I hope this was fun for you. And- oh, God. Have me back. I'd love to do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're totally gonna. Well, thank you for your time. We'll talk to you later. Big hugs to you. So good to see you. Okay.